Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode, a really special episode of the That Sounds Fun podcast. I am your host, Annie F. Downs, and I'm so glad to be here with you today. The music in the background is from our good friend, Mr. Dave Barnes. His album, Who Knew It Would Be So Hard to Be Myself, just came out a few months ago. It's awesome. You can buy it. You can get a vinyl. You can listen to it on Spotify. Whatever makes you happy, just make sure you've listened to it and check him out. And he's headed out on the road. It's like comedy and music. It's it's the best. So make sure you see Dave out on the road. A couple of months ago, I had my good friend John Christ on the show, and it was a really special and awesome episode. And one of the things we talked about a couple of times is a place called Onsite. John jokingly, or not so jokingly, calls it rehab, and I would say the same. And what happened after the show was really interesting. Both John and I in Onsite got a ton of feedback from y'all wanting to know more about what Onsite is and how it helps and what kind of is behind the healing that both John and I uh, have experienced there and feel significantly changed by. So today I have my dear friend Miles Adcox on the show. He is the CEO and owner of Onsite and Milestones at Onsite, which is an extended care facility. He is amazing. You're going to just love him immediately and trust him immediately. And I, I just called him and said, hey, Miles, would you come on the show? I want my friends who are listening to hear more about mental health and therapy as well as what on-site is. I say this in the show, but I want you to hear me really clearly, friends. Uh, I'm not being paid to tell you about on-site. I am not working for on-site. I am purely um, following up. If we were friends who sat and got coffee and had talked about on-site one time and then we sat down again and you said, wait, tell me about on-site again. That's what this conversation is to me is it's our second conversation about on-site. And so I hope whether you have ever tapped into pursuing your emotional and mental health before or whether you're this is brand new for you and you're, you're pretty sure it's not for you, you very well could be right. I just would love for you to listen. I'd love for you to hear what Miles has to say and um, learn a little bit more about on-site. It, if it isn't for you, it may be for someone that you really love. And so I would love for you to hear what on-site's about. So here's my conversation with Miles Adcox. Miles, do you spend your whole life talking about feelings? Oh, uh, not necessarily. Well, I mean, a lot of my professional life. Yeah. And I do it a lot personally, too. Yeah. I like it, though. I, I can. I mean, I hit a saturation point sometimes, so sometimes I have to shut it down. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's been one challenge relationally for Vanessa and I. So a lot of times I get home, and she's a pretty emotionally present, mm-hmm. feelings-oriented person. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I don't have any fuel in the tank when I get home. Right. Because you've been feelings all day mm-hmm. at work. So I've tried to, but but I, as I say, I love it. Uh, but sometimes I'm a little unaware of uh, how to pace that, so that you can be as present as home as you are at work. How are you learning that? Honestly, the way that we all learn, it's bumping into myself. <laughs> right. And so I would. S- everything is up right now at home. Uh, up meaning uh, we're hypersensitive. We're running into each other. We're new parents. Yeah. Are we? Are we? We're going. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so everything you're saying. <laughs> our you're right. Are you don't do intro. I don't. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. That, that's kind of cool. <laughs> we, we've got a seven-month-old boy at home. Yeah. And so we went from working on our marriage to working on our marriage and how to be parents. And uh, we constantly are in process. So we love, well, 
most of the time we love working on it. Yeah. But sometimes the hard parts are hard to look at. Yeah. And I would say the hard parts are really up right now because yeah. everything's new. It's our reality completely got turned upside down. And so I, when I, I took off, uh, which of what I thought was going to be a long paternity leave and, uh, I loved it. And then I was really ready to get back. Yeah. And then when I got back, I felt like, okay, I've been gone for a while. And so I have just been full, full gas down, right. going, going, going. So, right. Something I am learning in my life is that, and I think I learned this really, I think it solidified in me at onsite was that it is right to do things clumsy. Hmm. It, it, that, that doesn't mean you're doing this wrong. It means you're, yeah, you're doing it right. It, it, do you see that as true in your life too? hundred percent. Yeah. It's, uh, it is so such a relief uh, to not just talk about grace, but live in grace. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so hard to do, but it's probably my biggest learning. And I think it's people are surprised because they see me as the guy that owns onside and right. uh, behind, and they think that Vanessa and I are the picture of emotional health. Right. And then when you'll hear today, if we get into personal lane a little bit, we're just as much of a hot mess as the rest of us. It's just, I think we've learned to live in grace with ourselves and the people around us consistently. That's the, the work has taught me that more than anything else. Yeah. The work, man, I use that language. I mean, one of the, my experiences from onsite is it has given, it has given me tools and language. I know how to do things differently and almost more healing is I know how to say things differently. So I'm able to communicate, even just to myself, Miles, oh, this is why you're feeling this. This is the work. Mm. This is clumsy. At least you're doing it. You're doing it clumsy. Mm. Is that part of the goal in your head? I mean, what's your goal for people who go to OnSite in any of the programs? I I really think self-awareness is our superpower. Mm. And I think there's a major deficit of it in our culture right now. And that would be my main goal universally. Yeah. is that the more people we get self-aware, the more people we get attached and anchored in their worth. And I think when people are anchored in their worth, they walk out in the world and live in a more present, open, and meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And that's... I, my goal would be for uh, everybody to live in grace more. Yeah. How do, you, how do you keep people on that line between self-aware and self-focused or... Um, too self-centered. Oh gosh, I'm not good at this. I'm uh, not either. And that's okay, yeah. as we just said. Um, I think the fact that we work on it is okay. Yeah. I naturally found my space when I stumbled through my own process. And so I had some personal challenges that led me into getting professional support and I fell in love with the change process. And then suddenly I found myself as I'm I'm, I'm pretty good at this. I feel like I'm a pretty good empath. I would say you are too, and meaning you read people well, you feel the world around you in a mm-hmm. big way. Mm-hmm. And some people are more sensitive than others. I would think I'm one of them. A lot of creatives are. And that is a double-edged sword because sometimes our gifting can be our burden. Sure. And I think that's what you were speaking to is that the tools that I use to reflect on my process sometimes can become the judge. Mm-hmm. And it's important, I think, to understand your process and to constantly think two or three layers in, but you've yeah. got to figure out how to turn it off too. Yeah. And I think I've gotten a little better at it too. And people say a lot of times, don't take yourself too seriously. And I think that's a little bit of uh, a jab at it in a way. Mm-hmm. 
But there is some truth in there too, mm-hmm. that I think you've got to find a way to go deep. You've got to find a way to be with people who understand that light is important and we got to balance both. Yeah. Okay. So let's back up just a smidge, just because the problem is I want to just dive in with you and tell you all the things and ask you all the things. But for so many of our listeners, hearing John and I talk about onsite was the first time they'd ever heard of onsite. And, and so there are, I would love for you to kind of give like, for lack of a better word, an elevator pitch for what actually is onsite. I'm not sure John and I, I wish he was here. That'd be so fun. I'm not sure John and I did the world's best at explaining what it is. We just talked about our experience. So can you tell people what is onsite? And, and I'm not great at this either, by the way. <laughs> you would think I am. People told me for years, you've got to figure out how to learn to market and communicate your message yeah, better. You don't. I don't, you know, I'm not much on elevator pitches. Uh, you got way more time than an elevator ride, so just oh, tell go, the truth. Go for it. Yeah. And I, and I will say, I, I got a chance to listen to your episode with John, and, th- and thank you both for being so truthful and vulnerable about your own process, your own story, but also including... What you the story you told? I think you did a beautiful job at telling the story of onsite yeah. evidence to support. And I know a lot of people love you and follow your path, but evidence to support. People blew up, and we had all kinds of phone calls. That does not always happen. Yeah. We've been mentioned on hundreds of podcasts, and we're fortunate that people share our story out there. But that doesn't happen. Yeah. So you struck a chord because I think you spoke your truth. And onsite to me is a. Um, it's a personal growth retreat center. So we got seven, just the practical stuff. We got yeah, yeah, a 75 bed retreat center west of Nashville. And we all 75 with the new ones y'all just built. Yeah. I, they're beautiful. I saw them on Onsite's seen... Insta story or on your Insta story, but they're beautiful, the new cabins. Thanks. I'm so proud of them. Yeah. We, we've, I've never really been able to, up until now, afford to pay a lot of attention to the aesthetics. Yeah. But I love aesthetics and I love making a space beautiful. But yeah. we were always operating on such a budget just to get yeah. a new thing off the ground. Yeah. And this time we stretched it a little little bit and made the inside just gorgeous. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You got to okay, come. So, oh yeah. Him. I do want to come see him. I need to come see my horse anyway. So yes, you do. But we'll talk about that. Okay. So, um, 75 people can sleep there. Yes. Yeah, so we got a 75 bed personal growth therapeutic retreat center and we offer workshops about 48 weeks out of the year. So every Friday, a new workshop is starting. Obviously the flagship workshop that we're known for is called living center program. Yeah, You're aware of that. I did. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that today, but we offer other ones too. And then I've also got a 20 bed longer term program called milestones, which is emotional treatment specifically for trauma, depression, anxiety is our niche there on site itself. It's really for anybody that might be stuck or struggling in any part of their story. Mm-hmm. And anybody who wants to take a deeper dive into their narrative and rewrite parts of it that aren't serving them anymore would be a fit. All the way to people who might have wheels falling off. Yeah. Going, in other words, going through major life transitions. Yeah. Or in, in many cases, uh, a lot of successful people had adverse childhood circumstances mm-hmm. or experienced trauma. And they, it doesn't trip them up until they're in their 30s, 40s, or 50s, and they're yeah. way into their career, and suddenly, emotionally, they start feeling a lot of pain. Yeah. And so they might come and take a look. But I've noticed that I've stopped trying to predict who comes to onsite and for what. Yeah, because I guess so. There are companies that will send us people now because they just want to raise their EQ of their leadership, yeah. which is so cool, I think. Yeah, and in our um, LCP, there were counselors, therapists who were attending just to experience it, and pastors who were attending... To experience, and then we had. That's what I, I saw someone yesterday at church, and they were asking me about it. And I said, there seems to be two groups. There's one group who are in the, this is my last chance, or there was just a big trauma or crisis, and this was my first stop. And then there's the like, I've had some pain, 
and I had a week and this felt right. It seems to be those are the two big groups of people that intermesh beautifully mm. because, because they heal each other in some way. I saw that's what we saw in our group is the two different groups, the ones who came at their, at the end of the rope and the ones who are like in the middle of the rope kind of tied up together a little bit. Well, it's, you're describing community in a way. It's mm-hmm. just what community I think should look like. Yeah. But unfortunately, uh, it's not typically that way outside of the bubble of what you have to curate to create emotional safety, which yeah. don't you wish we could just walk around and do that in all of our communities? Yeah. I, and, and in some cases we do. We all have small pockets of people where we can be absolutely who we are. But that's the beauty of it is over and over again, I hear people come, not some not knowing why they came, other than they were curious, some really needing support, some relieved, some scared to death, most scared to death. What was I, Miles? <laughs> Let's talk about when you saw me when I got there. Well. <laughs> I started crying about eight seconds after I saw you. I was so scared. Mm. But I didn't need to be. I did need to be a little bit because it wasn't easy. But, man, I remember thinking, I am so glad Miles is here. And Les, I remember Leslie, your assistant, who's a friend of mine, our friend Lindsay who works there. I was like, okay, if this, if the wheels really come off here, Leslie will put me in her car and take me home. Hmm. <laughs> so. when, I, when I first saw you, I thought, what a gift to have access to emotion in the way that you do. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> that's kind. Uh, no, now, you might not feel that way because some people who, uh, it's you, a lot of times it's one or the other. I don't as much. I yeah. do now, but I've worked yeah. my butt off to get here. Yeah. But for years, I had a lot of locked emotion. Yeah. So whereas fear, uh, sadness, fear, emotion would have been an appropriate response. I couldn't get there. Mm. And there's a lot of people like you probably saw that where somebody yeah. had a breakthrough. It's like, I haven't yeah. cried in 10 years. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That's and it. And then you showed up emotional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, would, right. I looked at it more as a strength. I was like, oh, she's available. Kind. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing I knew that I've said to you privately, and I may have said this with John's and John's episode as well, is that I, I knew in my guts that this was, the, this was something that mattered. Mm. I couldn't, I, I didn't know what we did. Um, there's a couple of books people can read. It, it, they um, Don Miller's Scary Close mm. talks about on-site, and then a podcast favorite, Carlos Whitaker's book, Kill the Spider, talks mm. about on-site. But Carlos tells some secrets I wish he didn't tell about on-site yeah. in his book. But um, but both of those are great reads to tell people more. But I, I just I didn't know enough to know what was going to happen. I just knew enough that my guts told me this was the right next move. Mm. And that's all I knew, thanks to Mike Foster and Fun Therapy. I just knew that this was the right next move. And so... I knew that's where I needed to be. But the interesting thing, talk, talk a little bit, because we have women who listen, but we have some men who listen too. And um, and there were a lot of men at Onsite. I was surprised. I would have, I guess in my mind, I thought it would be more women. But I think in our actual, in ours in January, it was actually more men than women. Or it was really close. Our group was more men than women, for sure. Wow. Four, four, and, four and four. So we were even. It is, it's shifting. The paradigm is shifting. Historically, our demographic has largely been women. They outpace men. And, and I think women are on average emotional. Well, they're, I don't think that it's true. They're emotionally smarter than men. But you've seen, I think culturally, we've seen a huge um, problem with men. Uh, and I could go to extremes to, to paint that picture. But overall, I think men are, the definition of masculinity in the way that we know it has left a lot of men, including me, I felt trapped in my 20s, but are just tired, we're lonely, we're disconnected, and we're tired of carrying the act. Mm. 
that you have to look a certain way to be um, a man's man. And it's, it's crap. And I think the more we've talked about that, and there are men stepping up like Carlos and like Don and like Mike who have been champions of, and they're not out lecturing men or preaching to men and telling them, here's what you need to do. They're just saying, here's what I did. Yeah, that's right. And it gives men, I think men have a bigger permission slip now to come do a deeper dive on their story and do their work. And it's a huge relief to us because we, for a while there, we were seeing 70% men, 30, 7% women, 30% men. And now yeah. it is shifting to more like 50-50, which is yeah. wonderful. What made you even start this? How do you even get to a place where you build an on-site? On-site uh, was on-site workshops, training, and consulting. So it had a long name. Yeah. And it was around before uh, before me. And they were it was a therapeutic retreat center. And they were doing good work. But, but they weren't in Tennessee, right? Nobody. They were in Tennessee. Oh, they, they just were moved already to Tennessee. in Tennessee. Okay. And nobody really knew about them. Yeah. I was uh, once I got help for what I was struggling with. When I struggled with depression, anxiety, in my early twenties, and um, got kind of the right people came around me at the right time. But it was it wasn't that easy. I went through. Our profession is interesting. It's like any other profession. There's a lot of uh, really good counselors, and then there's a lot of average counselors, mm-hmm. and a lot of. Few that probably don't need to be doing it. Yeah, <laughs> and you just can't go online and get lucky. I know, yeah. And it's sometimes people get one shot to take the risk to go share their story with another person. And I had a few bad experiences. Really, I with did. bad therapists. Mm-hmm. Oh, and wow. I and I almost didn't go back. And oh my gosh, Miles, can you imagine? Yeah, I was that close to turning my back on that idea of getting help. And finally, the right person showed up at the right time. And it's it's a long story. It's a cool story. But the somebody got me. And they got me on the path. I fell in love with the change process. I went back and got studied up, got certified and trained in doing interventions and some, a few other things that led me into the path of getting into the helping profession. But I got into it in the crisis side first. So I ran uh, treatment and rehab for a while, another program. And we were treating trauma and eating disorders and depression. And I, I loved it. I loved mm-hmm. the rehab space. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I discovered in rehab was we were working with people at what a lot of people in addiction would call bottom. Mm-hmm. So people are at the worst of the worst of the worst of their story. Yeah. There, was a, there was something beautiful about seeing people at their worst and showing them their best. Yeah, I saw more grace in 12-step meetings and rehab programs than I ever saw in church. Yeah. Oh, listen, we're going there. And yeah. I thought, this the world, the culture, church, we need this kind of grace. Yeah. We need people to be able to have permission to walk into the deep, dark parts of their story and say, I'm terrified, I'm stuck, I'm struggling, I'm addicted, whatever it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they are received with open arms and a hug and say, we want to support you versus here's, you know. So yeah. I would see that over and over again. So I saw unconditional grace. And I thought, how do we package this up, bottle it up, get it to everybody else? Because yeah. not, it shouldn't be reserved for people who are only lucky, lucky enough to have a face plant moment in life. <laughs> right. And right. what about the rest of us? Yeah. And so that's what uh, birthed the idea. And I started putting that's together brilliant. a business plan of wanting to make the door wider for anybody and everybody who wanted to do a deep dive on their story to be able to do it. You didn't yeah. have to be wheels falling off to do it. So that I thought you could, I would, you know what I really wish I could have done is take everybody through a 30 day program. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine the, t- the amount of time that we spent? What we did on seven days doing it for 30. Yeah. Well, we, you, you couldn't go at that pace. Okay, good. We, we packed, we packed seven days into it. It's almost like a year's worth of therapy. Yeah. In seven I know. Days. I was there. So, uh, <laughs> I thought, yeah, you were. 
I know what you did to me. <laughs> so a 30-day process is more, you, you can't go at that pace, but you get okay. to do the same work, but you spread it out and you do prayer and you do yoga and you do meditate and oh, you just more of that. slow down. So I wish people would all have the opportunity to go do uh, treatment on yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah. Just to, it's, you know, instead of calling it treatment or rehab, it needs to be called human school, mm. which is what I call onside. Human school. I've never heard that. That's so much better. John and I kept calling it rehab, which isn't totally the right word. I mean, it no. did rehabilitate us, but... But human school is the right answer. Human school. On site, some people jokingly call it prehab. Oh, (laughs) yes. That's it. Might keep you from going to rehab. That's exactly right. Prehab. That's exactly right. But but I think human Human school is more appropriate. But that was what it was, is seeing what I saw with working with people in crisis and thinking the rest of the world deserves this kind of grace Mm. and this kind of healing opportunity. So how do we create it? Mm -hmm. Business plan started creating it. And I started looking at how do we start a seminar business and teach emotional healing and anyway, long story short, I got a business mentor who connected me with, and I was looking for a retreat center, and that's how I ended up getting introduced to the people. We met each other, and then I acquired it with a partner in 2007. Okay, so like we're 11 years now. Yeah. That is crazy. Your life for 11 years has been uh, seeing other people in through prehab, through human school. For the most part, yeah. <laughs> and and I, you know, in the beginning, we I wasn't gonna. I wanted to rebrand it and do a lot of other things, but yeah. honestly, seven, eight, nine were the worst time in the world to buy a business. Right, right, right. And so it was a struggle to yeah, get yeah, it going. Yeah. And so we couldn't afford to rebrand mm-hmm. or do anything. But mm-hmm. once we started building a little bit of a presence and turning the corner in like 10 and 11, yeah, we went from like six employees to 15 to 20. And then it's amazing. Now we're like at 100 and something, which is awesome. Oh my gosh, are you really? Yes. Between milestones and on-site, on-site yeah. you have 100 and something employees. Yeah. That's insane. Do they? Where are they all office in that one building? Well, we got that building. We got two trailers out back. We got okay. some people that office in Nashville. And of course, we got some people we fly in every week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. So when you fly people in, people should know that's not like you're not flying secretaries in every week or admin. admin. You're flying in therapists. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just so people don't think you like have a jet. And you're, you're, oh, yeah. Thank you. You're bringing people far every from Every week. That. Here's what you're paying for it on site for us to fly this 24 year old girl yeah. back and forth to Birmingham. And, and actually, the when the 100, which is humbling to even say that number, yeah. but I'm proud of it. So I'll say you should it. be, but, yes. Uh, it, that doesn't count the 60 plus therapists that we do uh, fly in every week. So we got oh, those. Oh, that up. doesn't count them. Mm. Miles, that's I, insane. No, isn't that cool? That is so many. Wow. I would have never known because they, the beautiful thing that they do at onsite, the people who work there is they float around. I don't know if this makes any sense, but they don't separate themselves or bunch up or they just are there with you. And so you could be sitting at lunch and all of a sudden you realize like, Oh, she, she works here. I thought she was in a different Mm. group. I had no idea she works here. And it's just a real beautiful, it must take you some time to hire the right people because you keep getting the right people. From what I saw. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I think culture is what we hang our hat on. Yeah. And it is a, a, a rare opportunity to get to work in such a sacred space with people's stories. And yeah. it takes a certain person. But it, we, I stopped trying to draw people to the helping profession and started trying to draw people to our culture. Yeah. And when I did that, you know, we got the right people. And we are lucky because it, it's a, you know, a commute. It's 45 minutes outside of Nashville. And we yeah. draw a lot of people out of Nashville and Franklin that, mm-hmm. that commute out. But yeah, we got, we're lucky we got a great team. Oh, it's a beautiful place, too. Um, talk about last week, if you, whatever you can. Last week, you had a new program where y'all did families that had lost children. Oh, I shared in the 
I don't remember if we were recording or not, but I shared I was tired. Yeah. And I am tired, but I'm uh, emotionally tired. Yeah. That was From one of that. Yeah. It was one of the most. Well, it was the most profound program I've ever seen. Really? Did were you there the whole time? No, I wasn't there the whole time, but I was there most of the time. I facilitated mm-hmm. the front and the back end and then okay. did an experience or two in the middle. Sure. But I helped supervise it. You know, I had to come into town for a few things, but it was, mm-hmm. uh, I was more involved than I am on most of the programs. Yeah. And it was unbelievable. And so, it was all couples or no, parents? No, it was, it was parents. It was, it was uh, called Life After Loss, and okay. it was for brief parents. And so we had 52 parents there who'd lost a son or daughter. Wow. And I've never... You know, we work with grief and trauma all the time. Yeah. And we've had circumstances like that. We've worked with people sure. from the Pulse shooting in Orlando or Columbine or Sandy Hook. But I'd never had that many people with a collective pain point. Mm. And when 52 people were in the same room and they'd all been through the same loss, you could feel it. I mean, it really? was palpable. The And the um, you didn't, you know, most of the time, like with RLCP, except for you, you were an exception. See? You were really? an A student. Well, you were... We, we usually have things in place the first day or two to warm people up. Oh, sure. Yeah, and yeah. so it's a slow-moving start. Right. And so people don't know. Because people come sometimes and they're like, I do not want to get near my emotions. This scares me. Yeah, today. yeah, yeah. And it, it's <laughs> not actually yet. not near as challenging as you think once yeah, you're there. It that's feels exactly like right. safer than you. It's just getting exactly. there is the hard part. That's it. The drive was significantly harder than the first day. <laughs> yeah. The idea that you're going into something you know is going to require a lot of vulnerability, but more, I think more scary than that is how am I going to take a week off away from my technology? Yes. That yes. is scary. Yes. But once you get there, there's a warm-up built in. Mm-hmm. And there are a few people that show up just available. Yeah. That's why I credit you. I think that's oh, so cool you. when you see somebody, 52 people last week showed up available. Wow. That in, The opening night was one of the most emotionally powerful nights I've ever seen just really? because they were looking at the eyes of people who understood them. They knew exactly what they had done yeah. and been through. I've seen the same when we run our veterans programs, but yeah. not at that level. There was something, I think culturally right now, we're dealing with such loss mm-hmm. and grief is so mm-hmm. universal. And historically... You know, pastors and counselors have advised people to, you know, as part of God doesn't make mistakes or you need yeah, to move on, and yeah. which is so backwards. And so backwards. we did a lot of the process was undoing traumatic messages and giving people permission to keep their son and daughter's spirit alive and make grief a process. And yeah. not, you know, so, will you talk about planting the trees? I will. Um, I'll talk about two moments. I want to tell you about one that was maybe one of the most impactful, but there were numerous yeah. stories throughout. But we do this one exercise that. You know what it is because we do it in the LCP, and but I don't I don't want to share about it because I want people to be able to experience it. But when, on Sunday morning, we do it every Sunday morning, and there's something we do where we're on a beautiful hill and we do yeah. this kind of outdoor uh, service, if you will, or meditation, yeah. whatever language suits you the best. Yeah. And part of it is somebody walks over the hill, and as this person was walking over the hill, I had a mom come up and grab me after this uh, experience was over, and she put her hands around my shoulder, and then she kind of hugged me from behind, and she said. Uh, I don't know that I'll ever be able to thank you. And this was two days into the program. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's barely starting. And I said, what's going on? And she said, when I saw him walk over the hill, I saw my son. And he uh-huh. was walking beside him, and he turned back, and he waved at me, and he said, Mom, I'm okay. And oh she, she looked gosh. at me in my eyes, and she said, it was the first time I'd felt peace in my heart um, since we closed the casket six years ago. That's one story, Annie, of a hundred that I heard over and over again that just blew me away. What you're referencing, and I don't mean to bypass that, but I will because I would get emotional if I didn't, but is the last day we had the opportunity to um, give all 52 a a tree 
that they got upon graduation. And we created something called Ryan's Grove, and we honored one of the sons that was lost by uh, the Huey family who helped put this program on. And it was amazing. We walked out as a group into this field. It's right behind the new cabins. It's gorgeous. And I've been I've been thinking for years, what do we do with this spot? Yeah. It's beautiful. And this is what we did with it. So it's where the future home of our organic garden, we're going to do yeah. farm to table. But we surrounded it with 50 trees, and a, so 52 trees in a circle, all representing a son or daughter, and they all planted them. So we started in the middle. They all walked out. It was beautiful because they'd gotten to know each other throughout the week, and some people wanted their kids to be with each other. Mm-hmm. It was It was amazing. So they would say, I want to plant right by them because, mm. oh, gosh, that will make you be emotional, won't it? Yeah. Oh, my gracious. And y'all, that is, yeah, there is something that happens when you're there with those people where you go like, yeah, we're, we're going to, I know you and you know me and we're going to, we're going to look at each other for a long time. I have friends even still from in, in January that don't live here or that I can't, we can't keep up because of our calendars. And... But on Instagram, we'll just say the little things like our, all of our comments. You, if you see other people's comments from on site, you go, I know exactly what you mean when mm-hmm. you're saying that. And so the idea of them planting next to each other, that's, I, I get that. I get why you would want to do that with someone that you knew for seven days. Mm-hmm. That totally makes sense to me. What is there a story from on site? Because I, I bet there are some of our friends who listen who are in therapy or have thought about going to counseling and, and feel this like, oh man, I should maybe do that. I don't know, and are just a little bit scared. Is there a story that comes to your mind of like, this is why this level and this type of therapy is worth it? Sorry, that's a hard question. That's one of the reasons why I I love talking to somebody who's experienced it because you're so wide, and you were anyway. You're so transparent with your story and, and your writing but you're okay talking about grief and trauma and therapy and most people um, don't speak that language on a day-to-day basis yeah. unless they have to. Yeah. And I try not to pathologize people's process. And I, let me say, on-site tries not to pathologize people's process. If you get on our website, you'll see we talk about all those things. Yeah. And you'll see that it's a therapy, therapeutic retreat center, but it's more than that. Yeah. Everybody in the world, I think therapy's branded all wrong. I've said this on another, I, I think, interview and... I think it's important to hear here that it's, unfortunately, it's been set up for years. This, this is what you do when something's wrong with you. Right. It's so wrong. <laughs> yeah. And it's not what's wrong with you. It's what's right with you. That's it. That you take a deeper look at your story. So it's not, yeah. I think everybody deserves to do it. I'd love, now, that's one of the reasons why we set up the foundation because yeah. we, it, it's expensive to pull off what we pull off. It's a lot of overhead and a lot. Of, some people can't afford it. And I wanted not to be limited by socio- our socioeconomic region needed to be diversified. So yeah. we're trying to make the door wider and we're also trying to influence and encourage more people to do it, not do traditional therapy. I think that's important too. It's a baseline and foundation for what we do. Mm-hmm. Huge advocate. I do my own work. Let me just say I'm in counseling therapy, have been for years. And I love that too. But I think to get to go do a deep experience, personal growth experience is something everybody deserves. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think something I've started saying more often to people on stages and in conversation has been, you will trust your pastor on Sunday morning to lead you spiritually, and you will trust your trainer at the gym to lead you physically, but you think you're supposed to do your mental and emotional health by yourself. Like that doesn't make any sense. In every other area that God created us, you will let other people speak into it, but there is 
and I think it is changing, but there is a shame around getting emotional and mental health help Hmm. that, but we're all real proud if we go to see a trainer or you're real proud if you have a spiritual guide or you do spiritual direction. I hear people brag all the time about doing spiritual direction, but don't want to go to counseling. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't make a lick of sense to me. It's changing. I think the stigma is going down and more people are raising their hand and more people like you who influence are speaking from stages and saying, here's my truth. And it's unbelievable where that goes, the ripple, you could never measure it. So, and I I do think we could learn something as you referenced with, well, you didn't say computers. I want to say, I think we could learn something from operating systems and computers. Yeah. Because could you imagine if we got updated Whenever oh new information, right. we never do. It's like we get downloaded, we get an imprint, and we move through the rest of our life with this set of belief systems yep. that's incredibly stagnant. Yep. And then it's overloaded, and it's got to be updated and changed. And that's what basically what you're doing yeah. is you're going to get updated. Yeah, it just feels like... Um, and you know, something. I, another word I'd love for you to speak into is, is you've used the word trauma a couple of times. And I think it's... One thing I'd want that I, ha- I don't really talk much about the depth of pieces of my story, but I don't have a, what would be defined as a traumatic experience. I've been very lucky. I've had some trauma, but I don't have this thing that people would label and put in some box if they had decided what trauma is. But one thing that they really gave me freedom at onsite and permission to talk about at onsite was like, no, like tiny little trauma things happen all the time. You can say that. You can say, yeah, that was traumatic for me. It may not have been traumatic for someone else. Someone else may have had the exact... I had a conversation this morning with someone, and I, when it was over, I thought, that was traumatic for me. He didn't mean to hurt my feelings. He didn't mean for it to go the way it did, but that marked me, mm-hmm. and I'm allowed to call that traumatic. Mm-hmm. It, I think maybe people feel like therapy of any kind, but particularly weak worth of therapy is for people who are have had a very historically defined traumatic experience, but that's not what I experienced of my group at Onsite, and that's not my experience either. I do not see the biggest impact with people who've had major trauma. Really? I see the biggest impact to people who in people who think they don't have anything to work on. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of true in church, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that is true too, yeah. So people who show up and go, I don't know why I'm here. My wife made me come. My husband made me come. That's our ideal. Really? And so if you're out there questioning, like, do I really have anything to work on? Or if you're in that comparison space of like, I've never been through that or never experienced that, it would be for you. Yeah. And I do want to say to our friends listening, uh, you you and Onsite have not paid me for this. You have not paid me to talk about this. There has been no... This is because I... uh, I'm going to cry. I wanted you on the show because I am two degrees a better Annie than I ever thought I would be. And my spot on this planet is to go after God as best I can and tell people what helps me get there. And so that is why you're here. Well, because I love you as a human, but, oh, uh, but I do want people to know that this isn't, this is because I really believe in what y'all do. Mm. And I have not experienced anything like this ever in my life. And I am seeing in relationships and in work and in how I look in the mirror and talk to myself that I am two degrees different. Will you explain the two degrees thing? Because I think you saying it, you said it to me first. And I think you saying it is really beautiful. Sorry. 
No, don't apologize. Have we ever been together and I haven't cried? Not yet. <laughs> Lord, like 10 times every time. Have mercy. I cried last time we were together. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that. I do. I did too. I, uh, so to answer your question, I didn't know we were going to talk about onsite. And I'm grateful too, but I've never had an opportunity to talk about it this yeah. much. And oh, good. I get uncomfortable talking about it because I don't want it to feel like you or I either one are trying to sell somebody <laughs> yeah. on something. I'm, I'm not. We're fortunate to be in a good spot. And, yeah. and, but, it's, uh, but I will sell somebody on this experience all day long, yeah. every day. Yeah. And, I, and I only can say I trust in what we've been able to curate and the people I love. But there's anywhere that you can take a deep dive in your story, if it's church, if it's yeah. counseling, if it's do it, it is so worth it. It's so worth it. It is so worth it. It's so worth it. And I think people, this concept of people think, well... I'm such a mess that it's going to take a 180 degree shift to get me right size. And I always say it's absolutely not. It's a two degree shift. Yeah. And two degrees over time, especially if you pay attention to sailing or boating, yeah. uh, grows. And that's incremental growth and yeah. it's internal shift and not external shame. Yeah. Is what is what makes two degrees so substantial, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that is, I say that to people all the time because people have started, especially my closest in circle, have started saying, you're different. I can tell your difference. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's just because you're close enough to see two degrees. You know, like you mm-hmm. can see the people who are right up next to me can see the two degrees. And over time, everyone, I mean, I saw the two degrees the minute I walked out of there, you know, not even before, even before that. And that's the idea is, is I love saying to people right before we're getting ready to close or graduate that the world may not feel like this to you, but you're going to begin to feel like this to the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I have that written down too. Oh, I have you so, do? Oh, yeah, yeah. You may I not feel, I mean, our group not, says that to each other in text. Really? Yeah. You, never, the world doesn't feel like on-site to you, but you feel like on-site to the world. <laughs> see, I, sometimes I never get this feedback. This is so good. Oh, good. I should have brought my notebook. I could just read you through some things. Oh, it's so good to hear. I, and, and, I'll, and thank you, by the way, yeah. for clarifying that, because I think a lot of people think until they feel broken that we they would come to somewhere like us to make them whole and we don't do that we don't make yeah. broken whole we make yeah. whole beautiful how oh you, you can preach that brother um how does working in a place like onsite change who you are because you go to programs all the time <laughs> in one way or another does it shape you every time not every time but collectively yes it has yeah. absolutely shaped me and i and I needed it. I think I needed the shift that we're talking about uh, as much or more than anybody. And I was so hungry for it that unconsciously I got in a career chasing my own emotional health. Yeah, yeah. Which a lot of people get in ministry for the same reason. You don't know it. And I think it's it's okay. It's okay as long as you know it. Yeah. Do you know, I didn't know. I I had a big eye-opening experience like that in my when I was talking with Mike on the Fun Therapy podcast because I was talking about how a lie that the enemy loves to feed me is I'm too much all the time. I'm I'm too much this or too much that. And I say to Mike in the Fun Therapy podcast, I said, and now I have a job where I'm the center of attention on a stage and they can't tell me I'm too much because I got up here myself Mm. and I took over the whole room. And whether the room has 15,000 people in it or 50 people in it, I take over the room so that they can't say I was too much. I decided. And then I was like, oh, (laughs) that's something. I need to... I need to talk to people about that. <laughs> it's smart. It's so smart. I love when I see people integrated in that part because yeah. we we are a resource for a lot of pastors at burnout and burn and pastoring is you know that's one profession. Yeah, burnout rate is super high. Yeah, and I think I love when I see people that say it's it's once you know it you can do something about mm-hmm. it. So am I still in it because I'm chasing some kind of hole in my soul? I am. Yeah, 
I still, I'll always be chasing a better version of myself, but I don't need it like I once did because I'm I'm glad to hear that. I feel that too. So I'm glad to hear that. Like I I see myself in relationship and in, I I see myself in a couple of areas of my life where I'm going, oh, I still want to chase after better than this. Mm -hmm. So that's okay. Yeah. We're not fixed. Onsite doesn't fix people. No. You don't walk out fixed. I wouldn't want to be. Why? I see the danger in it. Mm. I see people who, it's the people who uh, fight with everything they have to take it together. And I used to be one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's just not sustainable. It's not a sustainable way of living. And it's no fun. Yeah, I know. Do you know, that is interesting because I find myself in a couple of places since on-site going, and you and I have talked about this, but I've in a couple of different areas of my life, I'm going, I'm just me. I'm just mm-hmm. me. I'm just doing the best I can, but I'm just me. So here we go. If it doesn't work, well, I got nothing else to offer you. Like, it's just me. And I I don't know that I had the ability. I didn't have the language until on-site of how to do that. Hmm. I don't think. I, I know I didn't. I mean, I, I when I'm telling people stories from my life of how this is going versus how that was going or how this is moving forward versus how that was moving forward, they're like, oh, you've never done this before. Hmm. And and I think that is is thanks to Jim. My group leader, Jim. He's awesome. <laughs> He's say, awesome. Say more. I know I'm not interviewing you. And I'll, but do. Just one question. But say more about when you said, I'm just me. Who's me? Oh, right. So, I mean, I think, I think one of the healing pieces is we, we work so much at Onsite with, with identifying with your, what, what I think people would consider your purest self, your youngest self, your little version of you, right? So, and I've shown you this, but now I keep pictures of Annie at three years old in my wallet with me all the time. And, and so just being me is honoring her mm. and, and saying, what would, what would she do? Who did she feel like she had to be? But putting that together with the wisdom that God has allowed me to find in life through good, the good and the bad, of being an adult. So being totally an adult, not being a kid, not behaving like a child, but remembering her and putting her together with who I am and what I've learned uh, is me. And just kind of going like, you know, it's it's the being known and being loved. Like, am I actually, well, we'll just really go there. In a past dating relationship, Mm. I... And pretty historically, I would give about 70% Annie because I was afraid I was too much. Mm. And so, and I do that in friendships too. That's not just with single men. That's with friendships too. What I'm healing in is going like, what if? <laughs> what if I just actually was all Annie? And what if I, what if I didn't, even if my behavior looks exactly the same, and in a lot of cases it does, my heart is different. Because I'm like, no, this is this is me. Like, I'm being all the way Annie with you. And so, and that's, I mean, really, that's what your friendship has helped me do, too. Is I'm like, man, I can, like, be all Annie with Miles. And so, that's what it's been like to be me. It's just been the last three months figuring out what it looks like to live in, uh, live in the life I already have that I really love, but live it more wholeheartedly. Mm. So, and it may not, the beautiful thing is it may not look that different to people who watch my Insta stories, or it may not look that different to people who, um, who meet me at an event or read my books. It is so different for me and the people that I love or I'm trying to love. 
and the the relationships that are in my life and the people that are real close. I think it looks. I think it's starting to look different. Wow. Can I say wow? Yeah. <laughs> here's here's my wow, and thank you by the way. I, did you see me take a deep breath in the middle of that? Yeah. Uh, the the wow is that we just you just talked about you for three minutes and you never or maybe five and never mentioned what you did. Yeah. You're a one percenter. That is so rare. <laughs> we call we would call that integrated. Well, that's because I'm so, talking to you too. No, but, but it's hard to do. It's hard yeah. because we ninety uh, percent of the time we talk about what we do in the first 30 seconds of every conversation when somebody says, tell me about yourself. Yeah. It comes up and it did not come up. That was you. That was so honoring of you and your process. Wow. And I was, I was so drawn in. It was like, keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> Although I was afraid you were going to bring up work and I wouldn't be able to say that. Yeah. So yeah, like, yeah. You're like, wait, so you're like, keep going, but stop so I could say. <laughs> no, that was really yeah. good. Well, you know, I didn't go to onsite for work. Mine wasn't a work. Th- I mean, we had to deal with, hit some of that a little bit, but but I knew it was about who Annie, because work's going to go away. I'm not, I'm, you know, at some point your job changes or your job shifts or you make a different choice. And I'm always going to have to live in here. You what's, know? <laughs> well, what's neat is I got to know you as Annie before I got to know Annie yeah. as an Annie. And I just was not as familiar. And yeah. I understand I've been under a big rock because no, everybody no, knows no. who you are. <laughs> no, no. But that's when I I was even nervous to come to your podcast. I was like, well, she's a big deal. <laughs> oh my gosh, Mom. <laughs> no, nope. but seriously, when I started seeing how much success you had as an author and a speaker and a podcaster, um, I didn't know any of that. And I, I love that I got the impression. I think that's why people follow you and love you so much. And it's why I've gotten just quick. It's a quick friendship. Like, yeah. With you three times, I was like, "What are we going to hang? What are yeah, we going to do?" <laughs> yeah, because you're just you. You're integrated. You're very kind, y'all. You, you did a lot of work to help me get there. It is really. Um, I hope I get to spend a lot of time in my life encouraging people to be themselves and love it. Mm. Like, be yourself and love it. And a people will love you. There will be people who love you. You will not be. You are not exchanging being yourself okay, I'm going to be myself and I'm going to be alone. Mm. You actually are probably going to be more, this is not the right word I want to use, but more attractive, right? I'm not looking, I'm not talking sexually or with, right. with, an, with a partner. I'm talking just to the world. Yes. The more you are you and love you, the more people are drawn to you. Mm. And so if we could, and that is the gospel. Love other people as you love yourself. That is what Jesus said. Jesus was always proud to be Jesus. Hmm. Right? He was always walking around going, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you. And then I'm gonna go spend time by myself. And then I'm gonna hang with my best friends. Hmm. And and I'm gonna be me and I'm gonna go to the cross over it. Hmm. And I'm gonna heal people over it. And I'm gonna walk on water over it. But I'm not trying to be anybody else. Hmm. And and he modeled that really beautifully for us. And sin gets in, in our way, I think. It gets in my way. Would would you can can attribute uh, your your faith to as a big part of that? Because I, I guess I'm asking, because I'm i the face, in a way, of a place mm-hmm. that helps people with work-life balance. Yeah. And I str- I'm struggling with it now more than I did when I used to teach it more. Yeah. Because uh, I guess the influence is growing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so how do you balance it once you get to where you are, to where you... Because you are an anomaly. I'm watching, because I've worked with a lot of people with big platforms, and yeah. most of them really struggle. It's like, who am I without what I do? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm talking to all Annie all the time when I when I talk to you. Yeah. Oh, you're kind. Um, I hope that's true for you at least. Um, when I'm with you, you know, someone a, a couple of years ago, someone told me 
started showing me in the Bible where Jesus walked away from people who needed him. And that changed me. That changed me. Where's that? Uh, I can show it to you. We'll look them up. And for people listening, we'll tag it. But there were a couple, t- there were a couple times where people were waiting on the edge of the shore hmm. and he would get in the boat and sail away. Or people were waiting for him and he had just healed a bunch of people and they were still gathered and they were still hungry and all these things. And he went up on a mountain and prayed anyway. And so it set me free. Hmm. When Jesus walked away from people who needed him because he had to be Jesus and still healed and still did, he did everything he was supposed to do. He didn't leave one rock unturned of what he was supposed to do on this planet and people still needed more. Hmm. So maybe that that changed me, I guess. And uh, this is not a podcast about me, Miles, but this is my second career. No, I'm just kidding. This is my second career. And when I left teaching, I, I thought I'd be a teacher forever. And when I left teaching and started pursuing this, it just kind of made me go, oh, God can change the path. Hmm. And it's a good thing on the other side of what I can't see. Okay. And so that probably helps too. Hmm. Also, I go to a lot of therapy and I go to onsite. Oh, thanks. So (laughs) I don't mean, I just, you're so easy to conversate with. I know. I like it. I'm totally kidding you. This is how it goes. You know this. I don't know if you know the rule. Only my friends are on the podcast. No, I, mean, I didn't know that. Yes, only friends. We don't have anyone that I don't know so I made or it. know I'm of. I'm a friend. Right, yeah. Uh, duh, you are a friend, Miles. Jeez, are you kidding? I mean, yeah. So, of course, this is how it goes that we just end up having conversations. I mean, before we started, we both have notebooks with nothing written down because we don't have any, like, agenda mm-hmm. or plan. Hey, will you tell me, because you know the horses, and you know my story with the with the black horse. We've discovered it's the black horse. Do you, can you tell me the story of that one horse? Is there anything about that one black horse I should know? And for people who haven't heard, go back and listen to the John Christ episode because I had an epi- I had an episode with a one of the biggest takeaways for me at Onsite was this having a face to face moment with a horse. <laughs> hmm. So I've got kind of a mutt of a herd. Yeah, and we've got a lot of rescues, but uh, not him. He came from a pretty sophisticated bloodline. Really? Yeah. <laughs> the fancy one picked me. Okay, Miles. All um, right. <laughs> he uh, was the uh, my. I, my grandfather was in the walking horse business okay. and my father got this horse and he was the uh, last, uh, how do I say, I'm trying to remember. It's been a long time cause he's 12 or 13 years old okay. now, but he was the last colt out of a pretty recognized, uh, Friday night blues, pretty recognized award-winning show horse Oh wow! and got him. He wanted to put him in training just like he saw his dad do. And he did, uh, for about a year and a half. And they were having my, there's a horse show that's named after my grandfather in the little town I grew up in. Oh, wow. And um, I went down after the horse had been in training and I wanted to surprise my, my parents and ride him in yeah. the two year old class, I think. And so I snuck down there. They didn't know. And I put like the hat on and the suit and yeah, yeah. got on the horse. And suddenly when they announced the horse in his class, they were out and it was me riding him, which was really neat. Yeah, yeah. And I think we finished third. But after it was over and I was, back around the trailers and I was taking his saddle off, I noticed he was terrified of everything. Oh, wow. Everything. He had the whites in his eyes were showing and he would rear up and he would flinch and I mean, you couldn't even be around him. And then I just, I couldn't forget it. And so I went back out and I saw my family and then I turned around and I came back because I just wanted to see. And when I went back out in the trailer, he would literally, he would rear up. I mean, he, he was, and so I was onto it and I thought something must be wrong. We did a little research and dug in and found out that the trainer was really rough on him. Oh, wow. And that's, unfortunately, that's common in the walking horse business now. Thankfully, they're regulating. But a long story short is that he was pretty abused. Mm. And uh, I 
was new into the business at that time. I was running the rehab I was telling you about. And my dad and I had a challenging relationship and at that time and growing up. And so we were starting to reconcile some of it because I was in this new space and gotten healing. And, and that was probably the biggest connection for us. That was the pivotal point forward in our lives was he showed up one day in a trailer after I'd said, dad, I don't like this. I think this horse is getting abused and I think he needs to be pulled out of training. And I realized that's what he was supposed to do, but maybe he's supposed to do something else. Mm. And my dad, who'd not been to my place of work yet, um, showed up one day with a trailer and he had the horse in and he gave him to me. Really? What's his name? Tukey's memory, which is my granddad's <laughs> name was Tuke. He goes by Tuke. Awesome. And uh and I'm telling you, he is the uh here's what you'll like is he's the alpha. Yeah. So he runs the herd, mm-hmm. keeps them all safe. He's mm-hmm. the strongest in the herd. He does not connect with many people at all. Really? He's busy. I mean he's yeah, gotta he's look got up. a lot to do. He's gotta look out for the herd. So he's definitely the leader. He's yeah. so he's a type A. Yeah. But when he sees somebody authentically in their own, and it doesn't happen a lot, you're probably the third person in 10 years that's told me a story about connecting with him. Really? Mm-hmm. Which is pretty amazing, because some of the other ones are just dispositioned in a way where they connect with people every week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't do that. So the fact that he'd be lined over to you, there's yeah. something to that. That changed my life. I know that sounds so... Well, it doesn't sound silly to you, because you love horses, but I, I, I will never forget it. So a lot of people think, because now, you know, he's not groomed and sleek and beautifully black all the time. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a mess. His mane's yeah, a little bit of a mess. Yeah, he's kind of a mess. I like him, yeah. He's dirty. And, yeah. <laughs> but you would, if you ever saw him on paper, it's like, wow, this is a fancy horse doing some amazing work. Yeah, that's so he, really special. I, um, You know, because I think one of my fears, I didn't know how to identify him until he walked up to me and the next day when Bill Loki was teaching Um it was I, I had this fear that, that since then the Lord's kind of like, it's almost like the, this fear plugged in a strand of lights that I didn't know I had in my life. And once it plugged it in, they all started lighting up. And I was like, oh, I've done that in eight different places mm. of where I'm afraid to change because I'm afraid that all of y'all know something I don't know about me. And that when I change, people are going to go, yeah, we know that was terrible about you. Mm. Finally, you know. Mm. And my fear about onsite was, there's a secret that everyone's been keeping from me about me being a terrible person and I'm going to discover it at onsite and they're going to tell me, Oh yeah, there is this terrible thing about you. I'm going to change and everyone's going to go, yeah, we've known, but no one had the guts to tell me. Hmm. So that was one of my big fears going into Hmm. it is I'm going to be so different when I leave here, people and people are going to, everybody knew but me. Hmm. And what that experience with that horse did was kind of say to me like, no, you're exactly who you think you are. You have room to improve in 94 areas, but you you are actually you. Mm-hmm. Because he when Bill the next day said Bill's the runs ran my LCP yeah. program. And um the next day when he talked about how the horses only go to people that are that are being authentic and who they are, I just fell apart cuz I thought, "Oh good, I'm not like there's not a secret I don't know." That's totally what I thought. I thought there's a secret I don't know. And your horse taught me that there was not a secret I didn't know. He uh, he's, took time he's, from his group. Yeah, he's not mine anymore. He's ours. Yeah. Well, I'm coming back out to visit him. I want yeah. to see him. No, he's, uh, and a lot of people would write off the equine work is kind of fringe work, and it's it's powerful. Yeah. When, I mean, when Bill is telling some of the stories, y'all have those programs. Yeah, y'all have equine mm-hmm. programs. Yeah, we do one here in Tennessee and one in Montana, but. That, I mean, just the... So you kind of got a double whammy because most people don't have the equine experience in the That's Living right. Center program. You did it all. That's right. Yeah, so invoice me for more. <laughs> You're like, Annie, you also got but some I, of the equine I want to say, too, I, I can relate to what you shared about 
I would, for me, it's more like just a general feeling of inadequacy sometimes mm. as in my leadership. Yeah. And I noticed that is a, a norm with all the leaders. You know, we've worked with a lot of leaders and that's sure. a pretty normal narrative mm-hmm. is that when, if they only know, they're going to yeah. know, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. If everybody it, else knows, yeah. yeah. And in some ways that's true, but I'm, I'm, that's okay. Yeah. It, it, and it's okay that it's true because it's actually true with everyone. Yeah. Right? Like what, I think what, one of the things that the devil does, we don't need to give him so much credit, but one of the one of the lies that we get fed is um, this this sentence is true. If everyone knew, what would they think? But what he says is, and you're the only one that that's true about. Mm-hmm. Everyone else has it all together except you. Mm-hmm. The truth is nobody has it all together. So we can actually believe, yeah, n- you don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. Nobody has it all together. But that's not an Annie problem. That's mm-hmm. a human problem. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have it all together. Yeah. And we don't know everything. Mm-hmm. And my, I am inadequate in every situation I'm in to some degree. Okay, so are they. Adequately inadequate. Yeah, like right. That's right. Okay, what do, we, what do we not know about you that we need to know? Hmm. I'm, I am as human as the rest of us. And not that people wouldn't think that. I just, I'm, we're, I'm, uh, I'm cautious of experts uh-huh. and gurus. Okay. And I don't want to be one. Mm. Uh, and... So I think sometimes because I uh, am an entrepreneur that runs a counseling center that happens to be trending and people are liking it right now. And I'm yeah. so grateful because there was yeah. a lot of years it was not. Yeah. And, uh, you were digging a lot of holes oh by yourself. Gosh, yes. <laughs> I, I can't even tell you. And I hope it continues to, to, to do, be successful. Um, but a lot of times I'll get isolated in that role mm-hmm. and it can be kind of uh, lonely. And, and it's not that I don't take the responsibility on and I'm happy to have it. I love what I get to do. But I, I just am a human being. I'm yeah. messy. Yeah. And uh, people that know me know know that. Yeah. You don't have to look too hard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, that's true. I mean, that's what makes you so easy to tell the truth to. Oh. Is because there isn't like this. Like, well, Miles has it. Miles has sorted it, and I haven't. It's more like Miles has sorted it and is working really hard. There's places, so I can say my places too. Thank you. I so. feel like I have to say that up front to people when I don't know them and they call for the first time, like a, Leslie and I were taking a couple calls on yeah. the way here, and somebody who was just a really successful, amazing person, but in a tremendous amount of shame because yeah. they're just tripping right now. Yeah. And tripping up and doing something, just yeah. making you know, some decisions that aren't serving them real well. Yeah. And uh, they were had so much shame about telling me. Yeah. They were like, I'm so embarrassed because I know you and I know you have your stuff together. And mm. there, it's always such a relief. And I just wish more people could know I don't. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. I am a work in progress like everybody else that comes. Yeah. I'm not there to push or pull you where I think you need to go. I'm there to join you on the ride. Yeah, that is a beautiful thing about onsite is I never felt like our, uh, there are other group later, leaders that are amazing, but I only had Jim, so I can only sing his praises for the rest of my forever. But Jim never made me do anything. Mm -hmm. He never pushed me to feel something or to say something. He just stood with me. Isn't it nice to be invited? Gosh, it was just so special and so kind how he would go, yeah, I bet that is how you're feeling. I'm like, Jim, I've never said that before. How'd you do that? (laughs) How did you make me say something I've never said before? And you're just going, I I hear you. I'm like, you are a magician. That is insane. Um, I'd love two more quick things and then we'll be done. I think a very interesting thing about your life and on site is that in 
when you're at on site, the people that are there with you, there's a real safe space of like, we don't talk about who's here. We don't talk about what they do. We don't actually know what everybody does till the very end, if you know it all. But there are faces you recognize because there are incredibly famous people there. And one of the things you do really beautifully, how did it start being normal to you to have really, really famous friends, like movie star famous friends? And like, how do you have the ability to treat everybody the same? That's a good question. Well, I, I, I try to, I don't do that perfectly, uh, but I, it is abnormal. And I think I just acknowledge that. I acknowledge that with them. I acknowledge that with other people. And I don't try to pretend like I'm immune to it mm-hmm. or that I'm too cool to mm-hmm. not get excited about what this person does. Because occasionally, if not often, I come across people who I'm actually a fan of what they do. Sure. I'm a fan of their art. I'm a fan of their writing or their acting or their music. And it, obviously, I'm not going to tell them that in the first 30 seconds of sure. meeting them. But um, I need to be truthful about that. It's kind of like a, there's this thing called transference and counter-transference within the therapists and counselors. It's when you're taking on somebody else's story. And unfortunately, a lot of people train you that that's the enemy. Don't ever do that. That's when it's bad. And it's like, no, it's you're going to do that if you're doing good work and you're connecting. Mm -hmm. It's just acknowledge it and own it. And so that's what we do. So that's kind of the way I've taken abnormal life circumstances, which is being around people with big platforms quite a bit and making it. And I've noticed when you're around them, obviously they don't like people that completely fan out all the time, but they right. want people who are real. And if you ever see two high platform people connect, they kind of are a fan on each other. Yeah. They're like, I love your work. I love your work. And it's just genuine, authentic, because they're not scared to lean into the truth around that. Yeah. So I think everybody, I did a talk on this one time about people who work with high profile people and interventions and, yeah. and addictions. And I split the room up in fours and I, I, I put a, a, a dream profession out there, like baseball player. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. And I put her name on it. I forgot uh-huh. who I put, an actor. And I said, one of us at one time wanted to be one of these people when yeah. we were little. And that never really goes away. Uh-huh. There's always this little, I mean, it's all people, but there's a little part of us that, that uh, longs to be known and seen in that way. Mm-hmm. And then when you know, when you get to that status of people knowing you, it's, it can be kind of lonelier than it was before you started. Mm-hmm. So it's not always as flashy as it looks, but I think you've got to acknowledge that we all in some ways get hooked by celebrity culture Yeah, and me included. And I just am transparent about it. I put it out there and obviously in professional settings, I navigate it a little differently, but I don't usually work with people therapeutically. As you notice, I didn't work with you. So there's nothing that would keep me from being friends with people post. uh, So it makes it a little easier and the lines a little cleaner. When people work therapeutically with people, there's a lot of ethical boundaries that uh, would um, boundary around any personal relationship. Mm -hmm. But with me, the personal relationships I've known are clean if they're authentic. Yeah. But when I pretend and I'm the, the guy that's too cool and I got all these celebrity friends, then they sniff it out in her and they don't trust you. Yeah, that's right. And then they can't walk into what you're offering at onsite yeah. either, which I think but is... I, but I need to say I've been hooked before. I've been sure. hooked by somebody where I was like, oh my gosh, I and didn't was nervous and didn't yeah. know how to be. And that's totally okay. And something that our audience needs to know is you are married to a Hallmark movie star, <laughs> which we did, Never an heard entire, that. we did an entire episode. Oh, I'm having her on. I'm getting you minutes are, on. Oh, oh I'm, I'm dying to. Because last Christmas, we did a whole episode about Hallmark Christmas movies. Did. Oh. And, yeah. And we had another actress on who is lovely. And I loved having her on. And then I was like, oh, Vanessa. We got I mean, she's awesome. You married a Hallmark star. That's what all everyone dreams of marrying a Hallmark star. Everyone, everyone on the planet is dreaming of marrying I'm a Hallmark guilty. star. I'm guilty of not watching many Hallmark <laughs> movies. So, how did y'all meet? 
Uh, we met here, and she was in town for a friend's birthday, and randomly, she's from L.A., but yeah. she just flown in for a friend's birthday, and depending on who I'm talking to. And you're like, I recognize you from my favorite Hallmark shows <laughs> and my favorite movies. Oh, I will now date you. She was she was just stunning when I saw her. So I had just watched that movie, We Bought a Zoo. Uh-huh. You ever seen You remember yeah, that? Yeah. Matt Damon's yeah, Carl yeah. I love kind of, I don't know if that's a full-on chick flick, but I like them. I like Yeah, chicken. yeah. And so I was watching that one. In that movie, there was a theme that all you need is 20 seconds of courage to change your life. Yes. And that's how he met his wife, which she passed, and he met Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. But uh, she was way out of his league. He was walking by the coffee shop. He saw her, and he's like, I would never talk to her. She is stunning. And he's mm-hmm. like, all you need is 20 seconds of courage. What's the worst thing that could happen? Yeah. And so I, I hung on to that because I was in this season of being over-analytical, mm. well, which is kind of a lot. Um, of my seasons. Yeah, That's the gift and burden I was saying is you can overthink stuff, which yep. will get make you risk adverse. Yes. Especially emotionally risk adverse. Because every every decision feels like if I send this text, is this gonna end everything? I know. <laughs> We're all gonna die. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> and so right. I used that little cliche in that movie when I saw her across the way. And depending on who I'm talking, she was actually at the bar, but if there was a restaurant there too. There was so, a restaurant. Yeah, so, so it was what it, I'm telling my mom I met her at the restaurant. <laughs> honestly, I met her at the bar. <laughs> But anyway, so I walk. Well um, I see her. I walk. I start walking towards her because she was just, you know, just glowing and yeah. stunning. And uh, I got from me to you like two feet away, and I panicked because I have no game. <gasps> I had no lines. And I was like, "What do I say?" And I, I got realized I got in the close. I had nothing to say. <gasps> oh my gosh! And so I was like, "Exit, exit." Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, right about that time, she pulled her phone up uh, to take a selfie of her and her friend. And I was like, "Thank you, God." And so you said, I'll take the picture? I grabbed, just grabbed the phone. And I said, You just grabbed the phone? I grabbed the phone and said, Let me, I was so nervous. I was like, Let me take that. And somehow okay. she did not think that was creepy. And and then y'all just kept talking. Oh, this was cool. This oh, is I'm got, so ready. Uh, so I uh, introduced myself, took the picture, we, and we talked for an hour. And neither of us, and I'd, I wasn't trying to do this because it's an on site thing, yeah. it just organically happened. Neither of us talked about what we did for the entire first hour. Never so you didn't even know. To this day, I've never had a conversation like that on upon meeting somebody yeah. where you don't. It doesn't. It just didn't come up. I do yeah. not know why. Yeah. We organically talked about all this stuff. Yeah. And then it came. So I didn't know initially. And so at the end of the hour, but of course I Google stalked her right after. I was like, "Who's this?" Thank you. No yeah. kidding. So uh, after that hour, did you ask for a phone number right there? I did. Had a boy. And ask her on a date the next night. Did you? Did you yeah, call she, her she or text her? I called her. I'm a caller. Yeah, yeah. I'm the obnoxious guy that calls people back when they text me. No, no, no. I love that. You do? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think yeah. it's great. Um, I'm a big texter. I'm down with texting, but I but I think calling is awesome. Yeah. I don't know why my brain just likes to call better. But yeah. I called her, and she was in town one more day. And so we I went out the next night with... It was a birthday party that mm-hmm. she kind of... I don't know if it was a sympathy yes, because she didn't know she's at the time... We're both a sympathy re- yes to you. Well, we're both kind of recovering codependent, so I don't know if she sure. knew to say no, but she was sure. like, "Yeah, come on along." Yeah, yeah. And so I came, and we went to some kind of private birthday party, and they had you ever been somewhere where you dance, and they have the videos on the screen in front of you? Yeah. So they had Grease going. Yeah. And so we ended up dancing to the whole soundtrack of Grease. Oh my god! First date. <gasps> That's amazing. Isn't that fun. <laughs> That's so fun. Yeah. And then it just y'all just kept on after that. We did long distance for no, I mean, it, was, it wasn't like storybook. Right, right, right. Well. There were parts of it that were storybook. I think we need to rewrite that whole storybook. Thank you. No kidding. But it was, I mean, we had messy. It was great. We learned from each other. Uh, we thought geography was going to get the best of us because obviously her work is in LA. It's hard yeah. to act here. Yeah. Um, but then both of us kind of had a spiritual awakening about three years into our relationship. Oh, wow. And kind of recommitted in our own way to our faith. 
and it just that surrender removed some pretty big barriers for us. Yeah. We were both trying to work it all out on our own. Yeah. And without having God in the mm-hmm. picture. And then mm-hmm. that just boom. Yeah. And then all the obstacles went away. And then, and then it's been fine ever and then since. We, and then we got married and they all came back. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of them, honey. I'm kidding. Just some. <laughs> Was there, people say, when you know, you know. Did you know? Like right away. Did you, when you saw her at the bar, like now when you look back, do you go like, she looked like that because I knew. Unfortunately, I didn't. Uh, she, That's great. I love that answer. She did uh, because her mom is so cool. She this, On our first date after the grease uh-huh. dancing, she texted her mom a picture of us, uh-huh. a selfie, and said, I just met my future husband, which oh, wow. I didn't know that. Uh, and her mom printed out the picture and put the text on it and gave it to me on my we- our wedding day. Oh, my gosh. It's so That's sweet. really sweet. But I was, no, I was way too... Um, I've struggled with perfectionism. And plus, I'd worked with thousands of couples up to this point right. who I'd seen a lot of messiness, a lot of brokenness. And right. so, unfortunately, my brain was hyper-focused on perfect for relationships. Mm-hmm. And it kept me stuck lonely and single for way longer than it needed to be. Yeah. And uh, finally, I surrendered the idea of perfection and, yeah. and embraced messy and... And then I got both. Yeah. It's perfect. And it's oh, beautiful. that's a good line. That's a really good line. I think that something you and I have talked about in our own friendship is being single and watching so much therapy and healing for couples, but also seeing being in your 30s and single, you see a lot of people and you go, I, maybe I don't want to. <laughs> but you do, but I do. And you did. And so. Well, even when I've gotten a relationship, I, I was, I, I, I read people for a living. So I know how to do that. And so I I would find out what was wrong and kind of, it wasn't fair for her at all. I didn't, it was unconscious. I didn't know I was doing it. That's right. It was when I kind of put down the mirror or put down the microscope, pick up the mirror and say, you know, what is it about you Mm. that you're, because you spot it, you got it. If you see somebody else's pathology, your own is kicked up. Yeah, that's right. I just needed to look at my own. But the single, it was interesting when we did get married because people assume that too, that I've been married for years and, and yeah. I'm not, I'm two yeah. years in. Yeah. I waited a long time to get, to get married, not by choice. It was, but I had all the pressures of, uh, we're behind the place that helps healthy relationships and all this yeah. stuff. And yeah. I was single and lonely and struggling. Yeah. A lot of people told me, um, once I got engaged, even at my engagement party and it's about time. Yeah. Oh my gosh, they'd say it's about time. I got that a lot. I got that even wedding night. <gasps> and I think it's well in. I don't think people mean any harm by it, but I finally got it. It always hit me a little bit. And I was yeah. like, you know, it's kind of annoying. But uh, somebody, I forget who it was, looked at me and said, it's about time. And I said, it's not about time. It's the right time. That's it. That's it. Because I do want people to hear. And, and I think this is incredibly true in my life, even though I'm not married yet, that my mental health and emotional health increasing is making me better at doing a relationship with a man, but I have not missed God's best because I have, because of my unhealth or because of areas that I struggled in. So it is that balance of like, it's about time, but it's the right time at the same time. Right? Yes. Cause you, I, you wouldn't do it differently. I wouldn't No, the way I wouldn't pick a different woman. I, I do sometimes say like, now that we've got a little boy, yeah. I think, why did I wait so long? Yeah. I would have liked to have done this. But um, I I think I show up today better as a husband and father than a hundred times better than I could have in my twenties. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't need. Unless I look back, I was like, I'm so glad I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I, I think a lot of people would say that. So, in a way, I began. <laughs> maybe it was me, but I was like, maybe I'm wiser than the rest. That I didn't get married right out of high school or college. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I waited until Let's tell I got, ourselves that. Yeah. Let's tell ourselves that. They were wiser. Everybody's different. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there every every story has its right time. Yeah. That is uh, something the Lord has really been putting on me uh, during Lent was about how in control God is mm. and how not in control I am and that that is the right thing and the right way. And it just releases me and everybody else from being in control. And But my job is still to be as emotionally present and healthy as I can in every friendship and relationship I'm in. Um, and doing so, I think, builds your resilience muscle, which allows you yeah. to take more emotional risk. Because yeah. it's it's an odds game, too. It's just meeting the right person requires you to put yourself out there. That's right. And get hurt and get hurt and get hurt over and over again. That's right. And go again. I've got friends that are that are single or maybe anting up again because they got hurt in something that didn't work out of marriage or relationship. And I have mad respect. I, if I had permission, I'd tell you by name because I'd just like to cheer about them from yeah. the rooftops. Um, they put themselves out there. Yeah. And I watch them put themselves out there, and it's painful. And sometimes the stories are great, and sometimes the stories are like, I'm so tired yeah. of meeting somebody online and dating. And I just want to high five them and hug them because I was it. like, that is awesome. Yeah. At least you're trying. Yes. Try. That's how, yeah. That's uh, that's where I want to live. I want to live where I at least I tried. Where people go, well, Annie Annie showed up and she was Annie and she tried. Yes. So that's exactly what I want. Okay. Last question we always always ask. Is there anything else we need to say about onsite? Anything else you want to say to people about onsite? I don't think so. Thank you for okay. asking all those great questions oh, about gosh. it. I, I just want I wanted people to understand. Yeah. You know, I may it felt have like, confused them more than no, them, no, 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 no. It felt like the, amongst a lot of other responses after the podcast with John, one of the big responses was, "What is onsite? I want to understand onsite." And so I, mm. I really wanted them to meet you, mm. um, and I wanted them, I wanted my friends who listen to have some context around so they can go back and listen to me and John now talk about onsite again and go like, okay, now I, now that I have a box that looks like now I can go look at the website. Now I have a little bit of an understanding from the founder. Now I can listen to Annie and John's experiences. Well, thanks. And so that was I would, the yeah, I, would say, I guess I would say don't, um, because sometimes I talk about it from 10,000 feet and more mm -hmm. of a global view, which is not realistic to an individual who's in a little pain. Um, I would say the hardest part sometimes is picking up the phone to call. Yeah. But I've got some of the coolest, nicest, most nurturing oh my gosh, uh, intake the counselors. Yep. They're awesome. Yes. And they talk they know it inside and out better than I do. So I would say don't don't commit to a program, just commit to a call. And yeah. pick up the phone. Doesn't and you can just talk to them. Say, here's my story. What do you think? Would this be interesting? Tell me more about and it. And they will be honest. I mean, they, I've had a friend go, they told me it went the right time. Yeah. They will be honest if they think or if there's something different you need than right. on site. So and my my encouragement would be have a therapist where you are. You may not. You don't have to have a th relationship with a counselor, but have someone that you can go back to or go see a few times before you go, so that you have some support system when you get back. We've doubled the size of that team for that reason, just because I know everybody's not going to be a fit, and I'm on them all day. Don't sell this service. Just yeah. it, let's be a service available for people, but and never qualify somebody. Yeah. If they're not available, you spend as much time with them on the phone as anybody else, and so. Yeah. They're there. If you're hurting and in pain and you need another resource that's not ours, call us anyway, yeah. and we'd love to get you pointed in the right direction. Yeah. Here's the last question we always ask on the show, because uh, it's called That Sounds Fun. So I have to know, Miles, what do you do for fun? What sounds fun to you? I love everything outdoors. Yeah. And so I'm a big outdoorsman. I love to hunt and fish and hike and ride horses and that all that kind of stuff just lights me up. Yeah. I love community and people too. We have we do a lot of dinner parties, which we'd love to have. You yeah, come fun. on, I want to. We did that last night. Actually, yeah. we had two dear friends or three dear friends over, oh, and um, I love facilitating community. I love fire yeah. pits. So yes, being around fire pits. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. The one at on site's beautiful. 
that fire pit. Um, are you friends with Brad Lominick? Do you know Brad that used to run Catalyst? I've met Brad. I don't. I yeah. would. We're not friends. Um, but uh, I know him. Yeah, uh, and, he's an outdoorsy guy too. He's one of my he? other friends. That's a hunter and now, Tyler. Sure. I know well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tyler yeah. and I've been fishing in Montana together. Oh, sure, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is one of my favorite things about the planet right now. Is you can you're just about one or two degrees from everybody, mm. and and in our world, that's really beautiful to me to go like, oh yeah, of course you know him and him and her and her. Tyler, Tyler and I are going back this year, and we're both leading a trip where he's taking six oh, guys, wow. I'm taking six guys with the Refuge Initiative. Out yeah, there. yeah, yeah. So we all go at the same time? We're going to go at the same time. Okay. It's going to be neat because we're blending where he's taking yeah. his influence in his world, which is mostly pastors and sure. Christian influencers, and I'm going to take some people from the psychology community. Yeah. It'd be cool to put us all in. No kidding. That goes. Y'all are, that's going to be something. That's, yeah. a, that's a mixed bag. Um, Miles, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for doing this. It was an honor. Well, um, I'm, it was fun. It is fun, right? I didn't know that. <laughs> I usually don't have a lot of fun on podcasts, but this was actually fun. Okay, great. Yeah. I'm so glad. Well, and you know this, but uh, I'm a I'm a fan for life of you, and and whatever you do, mm. I'm also a fan of on site. I'm just more grateful than I know how to say. So, thank you. Well, friends, I promised I promised myself I would cry during that episode, and I did it. I kept my I kept my promise to myself. Listen, if you would like to know more about OnSite for yourself or for someone that you love and care about, uh, head to OnSiteWorkshops.com. That's also their Twitter and Instagram is OnSiteWorkshops. Um, and also you can find Miles Adcox at his website, MilesAdcox.com. And uh, a lot about him over at OnSite as well. I cannot encourage you enough to make that phone call if this is something that sounds like it would matter to you. Um, I would just really say, as your friend Annie, I am two degrees different and it is changing everything. And I, in a lot of ways, have my therapist and my family and friends and on site to thank for that. I am becoming more and more who I want to be um, every day. And I'm grateful to God for putting things like this in my path where he meets me there with in relationships and in experiences. So I'm deeply, deeply grateful to Miles and to OnSite and to my group leader, Jim, who just has my heart and I'm loyal to forever. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. We hope you'll subscribe and stick around. Last week, we had Bob Goff, who is also a friend and fan of OnSite that you can check out. Definitely go back and listen to Carlos Whitaker's episode. We talk about it there as well. And of course, if you haven't listened to the John Christ episode, hop back to January and grab that one and listen to John and I both talk about our experiences at OnSite. Hey, if you need anything from me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. It's Annie F. Downs, F as in fancy, across um, pretty much every part of the internet that you'd want to find me, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you need me. I'm Annie F. Downs. If you haven't gotten a chance to pick up 100 Days to Brave, a whole bunch of people just finished it. They all started together on January 1st, and they just finished last week on April 10th. We don't have any official groups running through it, but anytime you want to start is the right day to start. So make sure you grab 100 Days to Brave from your local Target or on Amazon or your favorite local bookstore, which is my favorite place to buy books as well. Here in Nashville, that would be Parnassus. I totally 
totally love it. So Miles is going to go do something outdoorsy now, and I am going to go play with some of my friends' kids. That's what I love to do. Y'all know that's one of my very favorite parts of my life are the children that my best friends have that become my mini BFFs. So that is where I'm headed. That sounds fun to me today. I hope you have a great day. I hope you believe me when I say that I am praying for you today. If you are listening to this, I have prayed that that God would intersect you in some way today in this conversation. And I am glad we are friends. And I am grateful that you show up here. Either this is your first time or your 75th time, whatever, however many episodes we have. I'm real grateful. So I hope you have a really great day. Go out and do something that sounds fun to you today and make that phone call to Onsite if you want to. Y'all have a great day and we will see you next week.